You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to the Rob Fay Nation podcast. An extension of Rob Fay Nation radio. A new way of enjoying sport. Each week, Vancouver-based sports brought to you from a different location. Please be warned. This podcast will be monitored by those looking to tear down. We will rise above with fresh content and a new perspective. It is episode 5 of Rob Fay Nation Podcast. I am Rob Fay, and what a thrill to have you check in on me as every Wednesday we bring you a little bit of sports talk. Half hour is the goal. We always try to make sure that we give you the full 30, and we might even go into overtime because this week's guest... I think what she and a couple of her friends have done on the social media waves here in Vancouver over the last month or so is second to none. I am joined this week by Sam. You can follow her at SamanthaCP underscore on Twitter, but she is one-fifth of the broadcast. Now, if you're in the social media game, you have heard about this new podcast, five girls all from the Vancouver area who are talking sports and talking life and keeping people on blast. I mean, it is one of those rare podcasts that you sit back and you look around and you say, you know what, that's going to catch fire. And it has caught fire. And right now, I think it is one of those fun, easy-to-listen-to podcasts that uh, I'm pretty impressed with. It's it's a good listen, as they say in the industry. So, Samantha will join me in just a couple of moments' time, but I do want to say before we get to her, in an interview that I pre-recorded a couple of days ago, just so that we're full disclosure here, I want to talk about the psyche of the Vancouver sports fan right now because to have the Vancouver Canucks in the playoffs, not just in the qualification round, but actually one of the final 16 teams that's going to vie towards Lord Stanley's Cup, that's a big deal. And the reason that I think it's a big deal is I know over the last couple of months, and God knows I should be broadcasting baseball tonight, that sports has really taken it on the chin, not just in Vancouver, across North America, heck, across the globe, but in Vancouver, we've been craving and yearning not just for sport, but a winner within the sports universe. And I think now the Vancouver Canucks getting past the Minnesota Wild gives us all a little shot in the arm of sports fans. God, I know sports radios needed this big time. Having your baseball back, having your soccer back, having your hockey back, and then, of course, the Canucks make the postseason. This hopefully will drive ratings up. It'll bring some advertising to the table, and things can get back to what is, of course, as we know it, the new normal. But for Vancouver hockey fans, let's just say you got your plate full with a first-round opponent. The St. Louis Blues defending Stanley Cup champions, there's no doubt about it. The Canucks have their hands full, but just to be able to get to this stage, I think, is not just pride, but it finally gives everybody a little sense of forward progress. I mean, five years out of the postseason, kind of a big deal, right? Every year, you're pointing fingers. Maybe it's the GM. Maybe it's the old GM. Maybe it's a player that's too much or too expensive. But now you finally get to put all of that aside and just get down to saying, my team's good enough to be in the postseason. My team has already knocked off the Minnesota Wild. And yeah, sure, we're taking on David versus Goliath scenario. But we like the direction of this team. And that's all that I think in this year, considering the pandemic and everything that's gone on with this team over the past couple of seasons, all that you could ask for. I really think at this point, the Canucks are playing with house money. If they were to in some way get past St. Louis, well, man, that's like pulling the slot machine handle and getting three cherries. That is awesome. It's such a bonus. But I do think that just getting the Canucks to this point 
starved for a winner, and God knows if it's Canucks, you magnify that by 10. Everything is just starting to feel a little lighter and a little better in Vancouver. So my well wishes to Vancouver, who start their playoff in just a few hours against St. Louis, win, lose, or draw. I think that everybody in Canuck Nation feeling pretty good about the way this team is trending. I mean, Brock Besser, Quinn Hughes, Elias Patterson. Name three guys that have come into the NHL all on one team that have had a bigger impact over the past 24 months. You can't do it. And that, for me, is uh, half the excitement for everybody here in Vancouver. All right. She goes by the name Samantha CP underscore on Twitter, but I know her as one-fifth of the broadcast. Here's an interview that I did with Samantha a little earlier in the week where we tackled a number of issues. You're listening to Episode 5 of Rob Fay Nation Podcast. Available wherever you download your podcasts. Subscribe, share, and review. Now, back to today's guest. If you've been listening to the podcast world here in Vancouver, across British Columbia, globally right now, the hottest thing, the hottest ticket is the broadcast. I don't know where it came from. I don't know when it started, but it is here and it is uh, really second to none. Sam, I don't know. It's kind of funny because you guys do the Spice Girl thing, Sam. Which character do you feel now that you're two episodes in that you're kind of taking the mold of? Sam, first and foremost, welcome. Thanks, Rob. Let's talk about this, your character within this broadcast, which is taking the podcast role by storm. Where do you think you're fitting in right now? I think when we did the first episode, we talked about which of us was which Spice Girl, and I went for Posh. And I think that's probably... But Posh doesn't talk. Mind you, she didn't sing either. That's true. Ooh, that's you know what I got to think about this one for a sec because now now you've got me thinking and by the way I'm a very closet boy band person like O Town 98 degrees that's before you get to the big heavy hitters like In Sync and Backstreet Boys I love O Town really yeah Liquid, Liquid Dreams, Dreams. <laughs> let's delete that because obviously it's worse for me than it is for you but let's talk about the whole concept of the broadcast because as I'm starting to listen and I listen start to finish which is a compliment onto its own in the podcasting world you're not fast forwarding or skipping but walk me through when you guys finally got together and said you know what why don't we put pen to paper why don't we turn the mics on and actually do this It happened really quickly. Um, The five of us have had a group chat going for a while on Twitter, and that's actually how we met. We've none of us actually had met in person, I think, other than Georgia and Mallory. But we had had a group chat going for a while, just poking fun of things on Connect's Twitter, talking hockey. Mm -hmm. And we had kicked around the idea of doing a podcast for, I want to say, a couple of months. And we would come back to it every so often and say, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? Who was the first one? Who was the spark starter? It was me. It was you. It, so you reached yeah. out to like the, the Vanessa's and the Georges of the world and said, you know what, I'd love to do something. What do you think? I mean, we were already in the group chat. And I think one day, I don't remember. I think it was around the time of the Brendan Leipzig text ah, message leaks. Okay. And we were all pretty mad about it. Um, and we were talking about just sports and women in sports in general and kind of talking about how there are not a lot of female voices in the Vancouver sports market. We kind of said, what if what if we just did something on our own? You know, it was in the middle of the pandemic, and we were like, do you really want to start a sports podcast in the middle of a pandemic? But you realized that you actually caught lightning in a bottle because they were just starved for content, and then all of a sudden got something new. Yeah. The one thing that caught me by surprise was that you guys had a message because every day there's somebody else coming out with a new podcast, like example myself. But everybody falls into that just generic vanilla pudding and maybe every once in a while you catch lightning in a bottle because you got a good guest and maybe that's worth a listener a couple of clicks. But 
I can't remember the last time that somebody's come out with something where everybody looked at each other and said, that's unique, that's cool, I will listen to that. When did you guys look at each other and say, dude, we're on to something? Before we announced it, we had maybe five or six people start tweeting at us, you guys should start a podcast. And we had already been talking about it for some time. And we thought, well, if people are asking for it, that's probably a good sign. And But we still didn't really think that it would be that big. And then we dropped the video that Vanessa put together, um, which was definitely a spoof of the Kraken announcement. Mm -hmm. It just totally blew up. And I think by the end of that day, we were like, this is going to get really big. It got really big and it caught traction. And I I think I tweeted this to you, or, you know, off on the side. I said, you know, Sam, just so you know, I don't usually see the mainstream media and the podcasting world cross paths very often. I mean, every show has a podcast that usually the op just kind of throws up on the website. And maybe if they get a couple of clicks, you know, all the better. But very rarely do the Scott Rintools of the world and the Matt Sikaris's of the world, who we'll talk about later before this is all said and done. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about when you guys looked at each other and said, boy, we could actually take this even another gear further. Or has that conversation even taken place yet? I don't know that we've had that conversation seriously. I think we're still kind of in the phase of, I can't believe how big this has gotten, how Mm -hmm. quickly. Like yesterday morning, I think Vanessa tweeted at some point, we were 10 away from 2000 and we had kind of, it had been a few days and she tweeted something like, can we get to 2000 before our second episode drops? And within five minutes, we were at like 2060. Yeah. I'm not sure we've still fully grasped how quickly it's growing. You know, it's kind of one of those things where, and not to toot your horn too much here, it's one of those things where I think a lot of people look for genuine podcasting. And that for me is why a lot of guys come onto this, Or and it's funny that I said guys, we'll circle back to that in a second. A lot of people decide, oh, I'll just jump in and everybody's going to think it's going to be great and it's going to be da-da-da-da-da, but it's got to have something extra. And I think the reality is, is even though every once in a while you guys will drop in a little, you know, just so you know, boys, we're here as well. But you guys are genuinely likable, which I think counts. I'm not sure there. I'm not sure everyone would agree with you there, Rob. <laughs> I think what there are mean? a lot of people who don't like us. Well, do they not like you, or do they not like the concept of the podcast? Might be a bit of both. Really, yeah. I'm surprised. Well, anyways, take this as a compliment then. That I think that it's it's very likable because the great Jim Robson told me one of the greatest pieces of advice I ever received. That's my first of a few name drops here. He said, there's going to be four people in the car while they're driving around listening to your show or your broadcast or whatever. He goes, one of them is a diehard. Two of them are casuals. One of them has no idea what you're talking about. And he says, your goal each hour is to make sure that nobody in that car asks to change a channel. And I think, as I now have listened to two full podcasts, that I haven't thought to myself of fast forwarding at any point. So I was hooked. And I'm not even a diehard, but I was casually engaged, which to me is is the perfect recipe. I love that. I think that is actually what what we wanted was this was never going to be we want to have enough hockey in there for the diehards to be entertained, but it wasn't going to be about a deep dive on the lineup, a deep dive on the analytics. It's one of the things that I've really liked about the way that you tweet and socialize with people online is that you're not afraid to take on the tougher topics. So I've got a couple for you. Okay. And the first one that I want to get into is Matt Dumba. The one thing that I've noticed, unlike other sports, for example, in MLS, there was a pretty strong effort to acknowledge, you know, Black Lives Matter. The NBA has taken on a world of its own. I mean, that of all the sports in North America looks the most forward-facing. Hockey, for my money, and I'll, I'll throw this out there and you can agree or disagree, 
Hockey almost looks like the uncomfortable cousin at the birthday party because they're not sure if they should dance. For example, I went to a Seal concert once. <laughs> I won the tickets <laughs> at a radio station. And halfway through the show, Seal, kissed by Rose, all that kind of stuff. Maybe I'm showing my age here. He actually stopped the show and said, do you guys dance? And so I turned to the person that I came with to the event. I, you don't know with his songs if you should be standing up dancing or sitting down because it's Kiss by a Rose. Like, how do you dance to Kiss by a Rose? So that's how I feel the NHL is right now, that they don't know if they should stand up and try to be on the same level as the other sports or, or the leagues. Or if it's just Matt doing his thing, they one day acknowledge it by letting him stand at center ice and do a speech. And that's enough. I think you're being a little more generous than I would be. I I don't know that it's that they don't know what they should be doing. I think that they're unwilling to do what they should be doing. Walk me through that. I think that what the NHL has done so far is to treat the whole hashtag we skate for thing as a message that they're taking a stance on Black Lives Matter, but they very, very rarely actually use the three words Black Lives Matter. They continue to have franchises that have police nights, military nights, and that's, you know, that's not to say that those things are wrong. I know that's a hot topic, but they're directly opposing ideas, right? It's very similar to their Hockey is for Everyone campaign, which is, it's a lot of this is what we should say because this is what people want to hear and this is how we grow our market and it's a great marketing campaign, but they very rarely take the steps to actually perform the labor and create the space for these marginalized fans. I'm curious to know if there wasn't a team out there that simply said, you know what, fine. The NHL as the league isn't going to take initiative. We on our own are going to take the next step. Because right now, uh, you know, Matt Dumba is with the Minnesota Wild. But he's the only guy on the bench, be it coaching staff or players, that's actually putting his fist up in the air. Which is heartbreaking aesthetically. But what if, and I tweeted this out, what if the Vancouver Canucks, who live in one of the most beautiful cities in the world, one of the most liberal cities in the world, where you can do something like that, and I don't think they're going to get a lot of pushback, what if they as a team were to step to the forefront and say, even though that guy's wearing a different jersey, we're going to be the ones that support him and collectively put their, their fists up in the air? That, to me would be the monumental moment and monumental shift in this whole philosophy that you say the NHL is missing, and I would agree with you on that. I would love to see that. I think I and a lot of other fans, and I think definitely all of the women on broadcast, were disappointed with the answer that Brock Besser gave to Patrick Johnson the other day after the game when he said that they as a team had not discussed taking any extra steps to support Matt Dumba. And I appreciate that a lot of people are saying, well, you know, who cares who's kneeling? It doesn't really matter. It matters what you're doing behind the scenes and who you're donating to and what you're learning. But I think the reality is it actually does matter to a lot of fans of color. Mm -hmm. And that's a pretty common theme across Twitter is fans of color being disappointed that Matt Dumba is doing it alone. The concept that, oh, it's his teammates are supporting him behind the scenes and Jonas Brodin and Alex Galchenyuk went and practiced his speech with him. He feels supported in the locker room. That's great. But the reality is behind the scenes at this point isn't really doing very much, especially for your fans. And that's that's frankly who needs to feel the support as well. Because there is, in addition to him standing you know, before the game with his fist up in the air, there's a lot of little kids, as you mentioned, that are looking at this television set wondering, you know, mom, dad, why is he the only guy doing that? Exactly. I feel like it's a missed opportunity. Yeah. Like I, I work in PR as much as I broadcast for the Canadians. I'm also their communications director. And I sit here from a broadcaster's perspective. I understand it. But from a PR guy, I'm thinking, boy, you guys are missing out on a huge forward facing opportunity to really, you know, kind of push this thing forward. The narrative, if you will. Yeah, I think that's 
I think that's absolutely right. Like you look at the Dallas and Vegas Knights game where Tyler Sagan, Jason Dickinson, and Robin Leonard knelt with Ryan Reeves because he asked them to and the stories that came out of that. And sure, they got a lot of pushback from people who are like, I'm never going to watch another NHL game again. Who cares? The reality is, I think if you want to grow the sport of hockey, the way that basketball is growing, you can't cater to that small traditional demographic of white males who are, I'm offended if you kneel during the anthem, but I'm totally okay with the Dallas Stars yelling stars in the middle of Star Spangled Banner. Dallas is Dallas, which is why I think Vancouver and any Canadian team has a distinct, how would I say this, a distinct societal advantage. Is that even a word? I think it might be. I think so. (laughs) Let's just throw it in there for now. But I think they have an advantage because I don't think their fan base would have the blowback that maybe somebody in a southern state like Texas would have. So, I don't know. I, I Like I said, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I just sit here and I see what LeBron is doing, and I sit here and I see what the MLS guys are doing, and all these other sports who got the memo. I feel like as much as the NHL has gotten a 10 out of 10 for how they've handled the pandemic, it's the one black mark on what they haven't done so far over the last couple of months, because outside of it, they've been fantastic. I think that's fair, and I think... Part of the reason people are taking so much issue with people not with the teams not kneeling is that there aren't a lot of teams also providing transparency about the concrete actions they're taking. I think that there are two teams who have actually announced initiatives. I might be missing one, but I know that the Washington Capitals announced an initiative that they're working on with Black Girl Hockey Club to cater to Black communities and to grow the game with Black fans. I know the LA Kings announced a diversity initiative And those are two clubs that have actually taken real steps. And that's, it's one thing to do that and then say, we're not kneeling, but here are the concrete things we're doing. But for a team like the Canucks, they put out a statement when all of this started. It was a pretty generic statement. Mm -hmm. They said Black Lives Matter in a hashtag in the tweet. And since then, you've heard pretty much nothing. And they were one of the last of the party. They were one of the last of the party, yes. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. There, I think there's more of a story here, but I think right now everybody's trying to keep their eye on the prize, which is getting through the, the two bubbles. But I think there's more to this story, and I think it'll circle back eventually once the hockey itself dissipates. You're listening to Episode 5 of Rob Fay Nation Podcast. Available wherever you download your podcasts. Subscribe, share, and review. Now, back to today's guest. I want to switch gears, but very quickly, just at this one point, I didn't know the name Everett Fitzhughes prior to today. Me neither. But the Kraken apparently knew about him for a little while. He's the former play-by-play broadcaster for the Cincinnati Cyclones, and today he was announced as the new play-by-play voice of the Seattle Kraken. He is of African-American descent. Two of their three hires, one was in their game day staff, and of course, Everett. Is that one of those moves that other organizations look at and say, boy, Seattle got the memo on this one? Not to use the adage memo twice, but that's a smart hire on about three different levels. Yeah, and I think Seattle has done that from the start. I think when when they announced the expansion team, they basically said from the very beginning, we're going to take an inclusive view of hiring. And they've done that all the way through with their front office. They've got the last article I read said they were over 25% of their hires were women or people of color. And I think they've really taken an, an active approach to trying to do that from the ground up. The thing that I think 
when I was reading through it. So again, if you're just listening now, a couple of days removed, Seattle Kraken decided that they were going to finally announce who their play-by-play voice was going to be. And uh, it's a name that came from the minors, which is kind of cool. They didn't just go get somebody local. They actually went across country to Cincinnati and picked out a gentleman named Everett Fitzhughes. But when I read this online, of course you get the first handful of comments that are like, oh, congratulations, or groundbreaking, or all that kind of stuff. And then you get that faction of tweeters, you know, behind their aliases that say, why do we have to say that he's black? Why can't we just say that he's a play-by-play guy? But I guess you do have to announce that until it becomes the norm, not the exception. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think, you know, being the first to do something is an accomplishment that's worth touting. I think so, too. But you know what? And again, Twitter is like society's garbage can. But I I sat there and I said to myself, I get it. It makes sense. And I'm happy that it was Seattle because Seattle to me is one of those cities, a rare city in the United States that's liberal enough, open enough that they're hopefully going to blaze some trails that maybe others will take on. All right, let's move on to something a little lighter. Stay with hockey. But I told you just before we turned on the microphones that I have a, a, a mild obsession with Francesco Aquilini's tweeting abilities. Okay, hear me out on this. Twitter is one of two things. You're either the cesspool person or you're the person that actually has bonafide, half-credible information. For example, I I can't imagine too often a guy like Jeff Patterson sits there and, you know, delves into the deep end. He's very statistical, analytical. He's your information source, hence the 45, 50,000 followers. Then you get the other half. They go in there and all they do is just take shots, rip apart. You've seen a couple of people take their shots at you. But then somewhere floating in the middle, this 1% where you know that they're trying to be serious, but yet you can't take them serious. (laughs) And that's where Francesco falls for me. Here's the owner of the Vancouver Canucks. You know, he owns half the buildings in the city and says, all right, tonight I'm going to be live tweeting the game. And I'm just like, yes, this is what I'm here for because it's so simple. There's nothing to it. It's so bad. What did he say the other day? I really hope we get this pee-pee going. And I was just like, drink some water. Like, I, I didn't know what else to say. Like, it's just so generic and so basic. But that's kind of what he does. But yet he thinks he's giving fans this, like, inside look at the hockey team. I think you made an inadvertent water joke. Well, I, as a dad, <laughs> those are fast and furious. Those are no problem. I could do those all day. But I also just look at Francesco, and it, it, it's actually an endearing quality. Like, here's this big ball buster of a, you know, owner and the Judd Brackett thing and everything that happened with Trevor Linden and yada, yada, yada. And yet here he is, you know, thumbs going crazy. You know, hey, look at the great game tonight. I don't believe that he actually tweets that himself. Like, he's got to be sending voice memos to some (laughs) intern and (laughs) they just tweet it randomly. Because there are times where he sends out a tweet where I'm like, are you watching this game? Like, are we watching the same thing? Oh, interesting. So you think that he's got a spotter, somebody that does the work for him. I think he's either got a spotter or he has no idea what he's watching. Ooh, I like conspiracy theories. Yeah. I, okay, well, you know, who knows, right? Because I sit there. You've almost told me that there's no Santa, by the way. I just want you to know <laughs> that you've like completely ruined this. Because for me right now, the thing that I enjoy the most is here's this high-profile guy that tweets in the most lowest common denominator style. And I'm there for all of it. I don't but, ruin you know, this maybe, for me. Maybe I'm biased. I don't find Francesco Aquilini endearing in any kind of way. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you, you can talk about his practices outside of the arena, what have you. But you know what? I just, like I said, in its simplest form, he, he like tonight, he's like, yep, I'm going to do live tweet in the game. And I'm like, fuck yeah. I can't wait. Let's go. Like, let's start now. So I enjoy when he tweets, but mostly for the responses it generates. Oh, it's isn't it gold? Yeah. Oh, 
you just know that I don't know if you follow Mr. Booth on Twitter. Oh, of course. Yeah. Very good follow, just, by the way. Yeah. I, I'm excited when Francesco tweets to see what Mr. Booth comes up with. And it usually has to do something with blueberries at some point. Yeah. Oh, I, I know. Anyways, who's a good follow on Twitter? Me. <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed I had it. To take it. How many tweets would you say you put out in a day? Too many. Like way too many. The reason I lead to this is every once in a while I'll be sitting at home and my wife Tina will look at me and she'll be like, are you done yet? You are also married yeah. to, I'm assuming, one of the most patient guys at Vancouver. <laughs> at what point does he look at you and say, okay, now you're doing two podcasts. You're tweeting nonstop. Enough is enough. Like, let's actually just be normal. Constantly. He, really? Yeah. He's He literally said to me the other day, he's like, I think you have a Twitter addiction and you need to put your phone down. <laughs> Like, where are you when that happens? Are you guys watching TV or? Yeah, it's usually we're watching TV. I admittedly, if I'm in the middle of a Twitter fight, then sometimes if we're having dinner, I can't put it down. And that's really bad. So I've tried to stop doing that. Sam, you have to put it down I during know. dinner. No, it's only been it's only been in the last six months. And I do think that I have hopefully kind of calmed down some of the Twitter <laughs> fights. I think I'm doing it less. <laughs> But maybe that's delusional. Hmm, interesting. Now I'm going to go back and read them all. I think we did used to have really civil disagreements. But yeah. it's, you know, I've, I've actually gone to the point where I just don't engage anymore because it's not fun. Well, the problem with you is now your profile is growing. So now people are going to take shots at you just because they want to say that they had a fight with a great Sam. Like, you're, now you're not just Samantha CP underscore. Now you're a part of one of the hottest podcasts in the city and everybody wants to take a shot. You're ready for that, right? I am very slowly learning to not bite on everything because I am I am a compulsive responder. Like one of the things I like about Twitter is that I can talk to all kinds of different people with different viewpoints. And it was a lot more doable when I started tweeting more. Um, but now it's pretty like if Have I... Have you always been like that? Like, hold on. Do you come from a big family? No, Brothers, an, sisters? I'm an only child. Oh, well, this this is everything. This is all I needed to know. <laughs> and, and so I was an only child until I was like 21. My mom had one really early and one really late. So the reality is, is even though I get along with my brother, I still, in certain ways, think of myself as an only child. Because, like I said, my brother Nick came into my world when I was already, you know, almost ready to leave the house. I understand that single occupancy mindset. Walk me through it from your perspective. What does that mean? I think I'm extra confrontational on Twitter. I would say that in person, I'm not necessarily that confrontational, especially with people I don't know. But there's something about Twitter where it's just the tweets are short. It's a hot take and it's really easy to just engage in different debates. Um, and you also have another gear when it comes to your ability to say words that some of us have to Google before we understand what you're saying. Like you're a pretty intellectual lady. I, I try not to use huge words on twitter but you know you do sometimes it just, I, it just i've happens. read i'm gonna just tell you straight up sometimes i'm like ooh, sounds good hold on a sec <laughs> google what does this mean but no i i look at it like this now that you're starting to get a profile now that people are realizing that you'll engage them how are you going to weed out the nose from the you know what fine i'll give this guy a round of a fight i think that for me what i'm learning right now is that sometimes it just depends on my mood like if i'm having a bad week or a bad day and I'm irritable I will respond I think I just kind of it's reactive more than anything else and then that those are usually the tweets where I'm like I shouldn't have responded to that and I should have left that one alone in terms of an actual debate I think people who I've interacted with before on Twitter who 
I know are not coming from a bad faith place and really want to actually have a conversation, I'm always happy to engage. Um, and it just kind of depends on what the first tweet is. Like, if you're going to come after me personally, I will either... People have given me flack for this. They're like, you really enjoy putting people on blast. I'm like, I don't enjoy putting people on blast. Like, I would rather you didn't say something personal to me. But if you're going to do it, then I reserve the right to put you on blast if you've said something really inappropriate. I don't, like, I don't think I have to sit there and block someone or mute someone for saying something to me that's awful. Overtime. Sam, you still with me? I am. Love it. Thank you for doing this, by the way. I'm having a lot of fun. Now, for those who are listening, Sam and I have never met in person. This is actually our first exchange where we're actually physically looking at each other. We've gone back and forth on social media. I haven't taken her on in the ring because I totally get blown away with those four-syllable words. (laughs) I don't know about that. I, I think I got like one or two. And if I have a dacity with those, I'm screwed. So I was just telling her in between, during our commercial break... (laughs) Thanks to all my sponsors, by the way. (laughs) And there's none of them. Maybe one day. Maybe if I become the sixth broad. Oh, that would be good. It's possible? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You might might want to confer with your other (laughs) colleagues first before we get there. All right. So we were just talking about the, the world of Twitter. Because, you know, essentially that's where we met. I was talking about the fact that every once in a while you break a story. You know, or you have an opinion that other people want to jump on the backs of. And I was just like, oh, man. I was mentioning Sam couple of weeks ago i guess almost a couple of months ago now the vegas stuff came out the hub cities became the really big news was it going to be columbus was it going to be chicago who was it going to be and then i got on really good authority and i to this conversation stand by my story is that vegas was going to be a hub until of course two things happened one their numbers for covid spiked and two somebody within the fnb industry died of covid shortly after they reopened the casinos and in turn now all of a sudden the union down in Vegas was like, ah, uh, 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 we got a problem here. And the NHL was just like, okay, too much. M- you know, mercy. We're going to find other places to go. But anyways, I, and Sam, I'm sorry. I just want to take you through this for five seconds. I know you just heard this, but I'm just going to recap it as easy as I can. It's this one guy, the dude that does his podcast from his car. And I, everybody tells me that Clay's the nicest guy on social media. He is the nicest guy on social media. So <laughs> half an hour after I put out, you got to remember, I press send on this. And all of a sudden everybody's texting me. They're like, are you sure? Is this true? This is unbelievable. I got people from Vegas, people in Toronto, people in BC. They're all hitting me up. They're just like, holy cow, good scoop. And I'm just like, sounds good. And then all of a sudden, within like half an hour, there's that dude, fucking Clay, in his car. Yeah, you know, I've heard, I've quote unquote heard from, and this is the best part, from multiple people. That Vegas is going to be a hub city, so I have to get this out to you. People have told me that I need to pull my car over and help you out by letting you know that Vegas is a hub city. Now, I got this on the most secretive of authorities. Like, this was not supposed to be public for another, like, day, week, whatever it was. And Clay's got it in his car at 33rd and Granville or wherever he is. So, anyways, he puts me in a conversation. He goes, yep, Rob Faye has reported this. And uh, I got confirmation from Facebook Dave. (laughs) I'm in a pairing with some dude named Facebook Dave. I blocked, I fucking blocked him like right away. I would, my wife Tina's like, are you okay? I'm like losing my mind here. But anyways. I love that Clay is the person who got you this oh, mad. Of all the people on Twitter. 
And he's going to feel so bad when he hears this now. I hope he does. I'm actually going to tag him in episode five. You're going to have to unblock him. Yeah, that's right. I would have to apply. Then I'll re-block him again. And, and Sam, I'm sorry that I took up the first three minutes of overtime here. But the reality is, I just sit there and I say, okay, when do you, as a person on social media, not piggyback somebody and just let them have their moment? Or, or it, It's becoming harder to do because now everybody's a source. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing is, if it's not your source and you're quoting someone, just give them the credit. I so feel like that's pretty basic. But let's say you came out with something like dramatic and then all of a sudden... You were paired in with Facebook Dave. But I mean, I'm not I'm not Rob Faye. Like, I don't have sources. Oh, give it another week and you'll pass me already. I just want to know because we're going to do this real quick. Overtime's just going to be a couple of moments here. What makes a good follow? I think a good follow for me is somebody with timely information, good takes. And I'm guilty of doing this because I will tweet long threads, but... Something short and quick and funny always grabs my attention. All right, Sam, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I know your husband's got a golfing time today. I think he might have already missed it. Is he outside? <laughs> no, he's not outside. It, like, is he waiting? We're broadcasting. We, we had We're a, doing this at Nat Bailey. We had a miscommunication. <laughs> oh, no. Walk me through this really quickly. I thought he said we have to leave at 2.30, and he just texted and said I needed to leave at 2. So you could keep going because it's too late already. <laughs> Stop it. So wait a second. You cost him his three o'clock tea time because of a miscommunication? Or are you saying that it was his miscommunication and, you know, that's the way it goes? I heard him say 2.30. He says he said 2 and we'll never know because it wasn't done in writing. Because were you going with him? Yeah, I was just going to head up there with him. Oh, no. So I, in a weird kind of way, am now off on a bad foot with your husband, Jeff, because he was going to go golf at one of the most prestigious golf courses in North Vancouver, which I'll leave nameless. West Van, pardon me. (laughs) Three o'clock Friday. Must be a somebody. But wow. I feel... Does he want to come up and do a half hour with me on this? No, he's at home. Now, okay, that's my last question for you, because one thing I've done is I've really protected my family from social media. I rarely ever make mention of them publicly, because... I just know that there's that 1% out there that's just going to be that guy. Do you have that same kind of primal instinct to protect your close ones? I think I did when I first started. I There were a lot of things that I didn't want out there. Like I didn't have my last name out there. I didn't have my job out there. And that has slowly just kind of faded away. Not that it's faded away on my part, but things have, information has slipped out there. And so now it. It is just out there and it's hard to put it back. And I think if, if somebody wants to look for it, they'll find it, which sounds really creepy. Yeah. But I just think when it comes to photos and stuff and all the stuff you could do with Photoshop in 2020, the less they have to work with ammunition wise, the better off I am. And I love my family. Like my daughter's 50. You know what? Uh, very quickly. So I auditioned for the Blue Jay job in 2018. They flew me down to Florida, did spring training games. So the guy that eventually got it, Ben Wagner, younger, better looking. It made a lot of sense. And then all of a sudden, Buck Martinez says to me one day, he goes, whatever you do, just don't read the blogs. He goes, that's my only piece of advice for you. And I looked at him and I'm like, blogs? He goes, oh yeah, just don't worry about it. So of course I go home that night to the hotel in Dunedin or Clearwater or wherever I was. I'm like, yeah, what's the story with these blogs? I couldn't believe it, Sam. Like years and years of this guy sucks and this guy's brutal and how does this guy have a job? I sat there and like for 20 minutes scrolled and I was just like mortified that there was this laundry list of like, he's the worst guy ever. And I was just like, oh my God. It's really hard to not look away. I mean, 
it's impossible. There Human are, nature. Yeah, there are no blogs. I, You know on Twitter when you have the quality filter on, it will filter things out, but it has a little show more bar at the bottom. And you know that everything after the show more bar is just going to be awful things. I can't not click it. At the dinner table? No, not at the dinner table. I do it like once a week. I will just scroll through and see if I have show mores and just see what people are saying. I like that. Anyways, okay, Sam, you're welcome back anytime. Thank you. And honestly, thank you for coming here today. I really appreciate it. This is good. This is really fun. Thank you for having me, Rob. You're way too polite. Okay, Okay, until we do this again, this is Rob Fade Nation Podcast. Like, subscribe, do all that stuff. And also follow, like, subscribe, the broadcast. Not like they need any help, but if there's that one person out there that still hasn't done it, now's your opportunity to do it. I think you got one one star rating. I, we might have a few. It was from Sean. <laughs> Sean Ward. That's <laughs> definitely was. who it was. I think it was. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to episode five of Rob Fay Nation podcast. Available wherever you download your podcast. Subscribe, share, and review. Thanks to Sam of the Broadcast and Area 51. Join us every Wednesday for Rob Fay Nation podcast.